Welcome to the Crossview Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy the message this morning. For more information, visit us at mycrossview.com. Church, welcome to Church Online this morning. For the last four weeks, we have been in a series talking about developing healthy spiritual rhythms that lead to spiritual growth and vitality. These are rhythms that we were designed for and that Jesus invites us to and that lead us toward wholeness. We started by recognizing that God has designed practices that set the divine tempo for our lives and that he invites us to these regular, ongoing practices that help us grow. As we end our series this morning, I want to talk about a rhythm that for most of us is very difficult and for, uh, but can also be one of the most formative rhythms that we can practice. I'm talking about the rhythm or the practice of silence and solitude. Now, I'm sure some of you probably had a visceral reaction when you heard those two words. Uh, Some of you might greet those words with delight. Uh, Maybe if you're like a parent of young children, that would be a wonderful thing. But I'm guessing that most of you had a different reaction because silence and solitude as a spiritual practice can be very difficult. And while I know it's a difficult rhythm, it's necessary. Uh, This rhythm has the potential to change us like nothing else. It's because in silence and solitude that we encounter God unmediated by words, activities, agenda, or other people. But I'm guessing that this won't come as a surprise to you that statistically speaking in our culture, the rhythms of Sabbath, and then like we talked about last week, and silence and solitude, are the least practiced spiritual uh, experiences of Christians today. So today I want to share with you two stories from Scripture, one from the Old Testament uh, and one from the New Testament as we learn about this rhythm. Let's start by looking at a story from Mark chapter 6. This is early on in Jesus' ministry with the disciples, and he's begun to teach them about the importance of unplugging from the demands of life uh, and being unplugged from the company of others for the purpose of silence and for solitude. In Mark 6, verse 30, Jesus invites his disciples to come away to a deserted place. All by myself, all by yourselves, he says, and rest a while. The apostles um, had just returned to Jesus from their ministry tour, and they began to tell him all of the stuff that they had done and taught. And then Jesus says, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. And he said this because there were so many people coming that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. Now, this verse is an incredible verse. It's often lifted out of its context, um, but it's, it's simple and powerful all by itself. But it's even more compelling when you take it within its larger context. If we go back to the beginning of Mark chapter 6, we discover that Jesus had just commissioned the disciples for ministry and he'd given them authority to cast out demons, to preach the gospel, and to heal the sick. Uh, We find this in Mark 6, 6 through 13. Then Jesus went from village to village teaching the people, and he called his 12 disciples together and began sending them out two by two, giving them authority to cast out evil spirits. He told them to take nothing for their journey except a walking stick, no food, no traveler's bag, no money. He allowed them to wear sandals, but not to take a change of clothes. Wherever you go, he said, stay in the same house until you leave town. But if any place refuses to welcome you or listen to you, shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you have abandoned those people to their fate. 
So the disciples went out, telling everyone they met to repent of their sins and to turn to God. And they cast out many demons and they healed many sick people, anointing them with olive oil. For Jesus and the disciples, these were exciting times, but also a time of great exertion and emotional complexity. Part of the emotional complexity is that they had just experienced the devastating loss of their friend John the Baptist on the whim of the royal family of that day. It had also been the job of some of the disciples to go get his body and to bury it. And in the midst of all, that, all of this, they began to experience the first rush of ministry success. The disciples come and they crowd around Jesus and they begin to report, you won't believe it. We spoke to this demon and, uh, that was holding someone bondaged and it left. We preached the gospel and we called people to repent and to come forward and they did. We healed the man who was crippled and so on and so on. But Jesus seems here in this moment to have little time for their ministry success stories. We see that Jesus is concerned about the bigger issue of how they're going to sustain their life, their spiritual life and their ministry, um, rather than maybe being distracted by what seems like this ongoing outward success. And so Jesus invites them into a place and a time for solitude and for silence. And he wants God's presence to be the guiding and shaping force of their lives and not their success. And that's true of what he wants for us as well. More than that, I think that on some level that there is in each of us this longing for this kind of connection and rhythm with God. That on some level we long to be a person who is inwardly present to God no matter what situation that we are in. Uh, and, and this is possible, but it takes practice. It takes Jesus inviting us away and us going to that place. Something happens in silence and solitude that, that just can't happen any other way. Silence and solitude is a rhythm that creates a place and a time set apart for God and God alone. It's a time to unplug, to withdraw from the noise of interpersonal interactions, from the busyness and constant stimulation of our day. It's where the core of who we are is laid bare before God's spirit. It's both beautiful and a very scary place to be. It's beautiful because we experience an incredible intimacy with God. And it's scary because it's just you and God. There's no cover. There's no pretense. There's no titles, no positions, no Facebook wall, no Instagram posts to share. Uh, it's just you and God. It's just you and the almighty, ever-present, all-knowing, ever-loving creator of heaven and earth, the eternal and triune God. No big deal, right? <laughs> the rhythm and practice of silence and solitude is about opening to God the places that we like to keep hidden away from others. It's about you coming face to face with the real you before God. In his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, Peter Schizero uses the image of an iceberg to represent your life. What we see above the surface is only a fraction of who we actually are. But Jesus wants to shape your entire being, not just what's above the surface. Jesus is after the heart, and that's what's below the surface. It's that part of you, uh, aspects of the heart, the core of who you are, who we are, that nobody sees and often we don't let anybody touch. Stepping into the rhythm of silence and solitude is stepping into a place that will be uncomfortable and difficult on some level because the work of being shaped is 
is not always fun, and it's certainly a vulnerable place to be. You know, at times, we operate with multiple layers of masks, don't we? We have so many masks that maybe we even begin to believe those masks uh, are who we really are. And as we settle into God's presence, God's Spirit begins to peel back the various layers uh, and we learn more about what's really going on in our heart and our mind. And God can help us. He can form us, shape us. He can address areas of bitterness and angers, anger, uh, areas of unforgiveness, and on and on. I believe that God is inviting you and me and us as a church into something deeper around these rhythms and specifically around this rhythm. You know, the Old Testament also has a lot to say about this as well. Uh, there's this fascinating story in uh, 1 Kings 19 about the prophet Elijah. We talked about that a bit last week. In 1 Kings 19, we find Elijah depressed, angry, frustrated. He's disillusioned. He's burnt out. He's lashing out at other people. His faith is at an all-time low. He's remembering everything that's gone wrong for him, and he thinks everyone's out to get him. And so he takes this opportunity, uh, God takes this opportunity to help him out. In 1 Kings 19, 11 through 13, we read, Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. As, and as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. One of the important things to notice about this story is how God speaks to Elijah. First, the passage says that a mighty wind and a, uh, it was a mighty and a powerful wind and a storm that, come, that came by. In ancient times, this is often how God would show himself through a powerful storm or wind, like in the book of Job. But God is not in the wind this time. Then it says that he sent an earthquake. This is the way that God had come to Moses on Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 20, a powerful earthquake with lightning. But this time, God is not in the earthquake either. Then God sends fire, which is how he'd come to Moses in the burning bush or the Israelites in the pillar of fire at night. But again, God this time is not in the fire. What's fascinating is that each of these represent a way that God had worked in the past. But God was showing Elijah, uh, what I did in the past is not what I'm going to do for you right now. For you, I have something new and I want you to watch closely. And then after the fire, it says that there was the sound of a gentle whisper. And isn't that awesome? This word gentle whisper is very important because it doesn't often translate very clearly. It literally means the sound of sheer silence. So God comes to Elijah in sheer silence. And this was a new experience for Elijah. <clears throat> and it was one that he desperately needed, especially in the midst of this really bad spiritual day he was having. Could it be that God wants to show you himself to speak to you deeply, also through a rhythm of silence and solitude in your life? Developing this rhythm might require some letting go of the past and stepping into something new, like stepping over the threshold into something new. 
This rhythm is part of God's invitation for us today. And it's exactly what Elijah had to do in this text. And it's what Jesus has invited his disciples to do in the New Testament passage that we've looked at. Maybe silence is a new spiritual rhythm for you, and it can be difficult at first. We know that God speaks to us and comes to us uh, in so many different ways, but the teaching here in 1 Kings and in Mark chapter 6 is so important for us these days because we are loud and distracted people. Uh, One of my favorite stories uh, that was really meaningful to me in my own journey of silence and solitude was that of Brother Lawrence. Brother Lawrence is a 16th century monastic who had a very difficult life uh, and and a beginning of a, a difficult beginning of a faith process. But Brother Lawrence was a French, he started out as a French soldier who fought for his country, was left uh, crippled in one leg uh, while in battle. And after seeking counsel from his uncle, he joined a monastic community. After having an experience with God, which led uh, to this, uh, this beautiful experience of grace and his own salvation. Uh, he had a difficult time with this new monastic way of life, especially because they had a vow of silence and solitude at first. Uh, he wrote this, Solitude, which he had regarded as a safe haven, had become a, a sea agitated with furious storms. His mind was tossed like a vessel beaten by the wind and the storm, abandoned by its pilot, and he did not know which way to go or where to flee. And yet, Brother Lawrence endured these inward storms and uh, over and over again surrendered himself to God in silence and solitude. He then wrote that God opened the eyes of his heart and that he caught sight of the divine ray of light, illuminating his spirit, uh, dissipating all fear. It's pretty incredible. He wrote that he spent the next 40 years of his life in a moment-by-moment practice of God's presence. Brother Lawrence goes from being an emotional and and spiritual wreck to living for 40 years in the moment-by-moment presence of God. He's utterly transformed by this practice of silence. You know, it's incredible that it's uh, often in silence and solitude that God, uh, we allow God to really see us, to really see what's going on in our heart and mind. And then uh, we can be changed, we can be encouraged, and we can be inspired through that kind of work of God in our lives. Developing a rhythm of silence and solitude is about intentionally creating some time and space to be seen clearly by God and to let God see all of us very clearly. Even the parts we try to hide. It's about being shaped and formed. It cultivates peace. It fights anxiety. It increases our capacity to hear and discern God's voice. God uses this rhythm of silence and solitude to shape us and to form us in powerfully changing ways. And so here's my encouragement. As we end this series together, uh, we recognize that this is a powerful and important rhythm that Jesus teaches on and leads by example. And my encouragement is just to begin uh, simply. To begin a simple rhythm of silitude, uh, of silence or solitude in your life. Maybe it's just a few moments a day. But one of the best ways to do this is to find a place. A place that's set apart. A place where you can begin to practice this rhythm. Uh, one of uh, the books that we referenced back in week one, a book on prayer, uh, talks about finding a place that's a thin place. That is a place where you like to go uh, to talk uh, to God. Maybe that's a place where you go often to pray, where it feels like the barrier between heaven and earth 
uh, is thin. Uh, so to be able to find a place where you can go and you know that you're going to be able to develop this type of rhythm of silence and solitude with God. I would love to talk with you about your own journey in silence and solitude and to be able to encourage you in this process. We want to continue to help uh, give you some tools. So we encourage you to go check out the resources provided and, and Pastor Holly and I's discussion that we had on this topic. This can be a difficult thing to develop because uh, like, like I mentioned earlier, there's lots of levels to our own experience of silence and solitude. One might be the surface level of all of the loud kind of thoughts uh, and feelings that, that we have going on in our minds. Often we have a very loud interior. Um, but then once we're able to get past that level with the Lord's help, there's another level of, uh, of experience where we might not be aware. Uh, we're angry at this situation or we're frustrated at this person or those kind of things. There's some, some awareness that has to happen. And then maybe a th another level that we get to is we, as once we get through all of that stuff, which is hard work, we get to this, like we've talked about with pre uh, Brother Lawrence, this sweet presence uh, of God. You know, silence and solitude is a way for us to be able to form this deep and intimate awareness of God's presence where he can speak to us. Uh, this is a, a really significant uh, centering, uh, anchoring, and God-orienting rhythm for us. And so uh, it's difficult. We're ending with this one with our last week, uh, but we, uh, we want to encourage this type of practice. Jesus will help us along the way as we uh, long to get deeper and more intimate in our relationship with God. So let's just, let's pray as we end our, our time together today, this series together, and just thank God for his help in our lives as we develop these rhythms. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful, uh, first of all, to go all the way back to the beginning, to your invitation, to these unforced rhythms of grace, these ways that you've designed it to work for us. We've talked only about a few of these. There are other rhythms that we can develop uh, in our life and uh, of faith as we, we uh, want to grow closer to you and, and become better followers of you, reflecting you more and more. God, help us with this rhythm. This is a very difficult one. We are loud uh, people. Uh, we are busy people. Uh, we have a lot going on uh, in our inner uh, in our inner life, whether that's our, our heart, our mind. And so this is difficult, but this is so important as we uh, are shaped and formed by you, allowing you to speak deeply to us, uh, uh, getting to the place where we are an open book, allowing you uh, access to all aspects and areas of our life and heart. Uh, and we just thank you that you are gentle and loving, gracious, kind, forgiving, and you invite us to a way uh, that is not heavy or ill-fitting, but will be filled with life and rest. And we just thank you that you help us along the way. We love you, Jesus, and we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen.